Hello, I'm Gareth. This is Somewhere on Earth and it's Tuesday the 21st of November 2023. Let's give you some metadata here, some geolocation indeed. We are in London with guests from Cameroon, Washington, California and Brazil. With us today is Brazil-based technology journalist Angelica Mari, all the way from Sao Paulo. Um, so, Angelica, in fact, you join us on, I think it's your, the third leg of your world tour, because you've just been travelling <laughs> a lot recently. So here you are, just so you know, you're in London now, in case you've lost track of where on earth you are. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and you've just been to the Wired conference, haven't you? Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind uh, so yeah. I spent a few days at Web Summit in Lisbon. I went to Dublin to fetch my master's diploma in cyber psychology. Of which, congratulations. Yay! And now I'm here with you to discuss the Wired conference, uh, Wired's impact event that happened this morning. So what did you make of it then? What was the general feeling and mood over there? It was really interesting. Um, there was a lot of talk about the uh, major environmental threats the society is up against. So air pollution, extreme heat and others and how tech might be used to, uh, to tackle those challenges. And were there any glaring emissions maybe from the programme? Or did you feel it was pretty balanced, you know, that you felt you came away and thought, yeah, they've pretty much nailed it here. Whoever programmed the uh, whole agenda for the conference did it okay. Yeah, I think uh, there was a bit of uh, um, holding politicians to account. For example, uh, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, was on stage. Oh, yeah. And uh, air pollution is a big thing for him. And uh, he was um, talking about how London might um, have acceptable levels of air pollution by 2030 that compares to the uh, UK government's uh, ambitions to get it to that level, acceptable levels by 2040. So that was quite a strong uh, statement. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, and meanwhile, of course, you've got all the shenanigans going on at OpenAI. So who knows, perhaps they'll have a new CEO by the time you, you hear this. I'm just looking at what the latest news is as we record this podcast on Tuesday, the 21st of November. And uh, staff at OpenAI have called on the board of uh, the company to resign after that, of course, <laughs> shock dismissal over the weekend, or on Friday, I think it was, of um, Sam Altman. And yeah. I think there's a lot of people betting that he's going to be back at some point you sort of wonder whether they it is a thriller or a farce really you can't help wondering yes <laughs> you know, whether you have to sort of hide behind the sofa and just i know <laughs> was it all orchestrated anyway you wonder oh. Oh, there's the, well, let's, let's plant that little seed okay while we speculate on that let's crack on with the podcast and coming up today A high-profile resignation, rows over Israel and Gaza, and much more. Yes, it was an eventful few days at the recent Web Summit. Angelica was there, as she was just saying. So um, was there space at the meeting to discuss any, uh, well, actually, web-related tech, given all the gossip that had been going on leading up to that event? Also today, the app that's been helping health workers in Cameroon give women better contraceptive advice. So what is the app, and what plans do it develop have to make it even more effective. It's all right here on the Somewhere on Earth podcast. 
Righty ho then, Angelica, very much enjoying our groovy theme tune. I noticed there as well. That yeah, was nice. And I love it. It's it's pretty good, isn't it? It's quite an earworm. The first yeah, few weeks we started you, doing this, I sort of had it in my mind. Forward for me to to arrive here in London, all the way from Brazil, to do my little maraca dance. Just wanted to see you boogie. Absolutely. <laughs> um, in between all your boogieing and partying, then what about this web summit? Uh, of course, a lot of um, controversy um, right there at the beginning, as uh, mentioned there in the menu. In fact, let's just do the controversy bit first, and then you can tell me a little bit about you know kind of what the summit is. But uh, it hit the headlines for not all the right reasons, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Paddy Cosgrove, the former Web Summit CEO, he faced a major backlash over a tweet um, in which he failed to explicitly condemn the uh, Hamas terrorist attack on Israel when commenting on the uh, Israeli uh, military action in Gaza. So that led to uh, the Israel ambassador in Portugal calling for a Web Summit boycott and major tech firms like Google, uh, and Apple also withdrawing his sponsorship. So finally, he stepped down from his role and he was replaced by Catherine Mayer, who was the former CEO and executive director of Wikimedia Foundation. Okay, so which meant for the time being, the summit could go on and get back to its, uh, I guess, normal business. But for people who don't know then, the Web Summit, just set the scene for us because it's pretty big and pretty influential, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So over 70,000 people attended this year. So it's a pretty big event. And um Let's face it, in, in, in summary, one of the main purposes of this event is generate business. So between startups, investors and all that. But it's also an event that sparks conversations on topics that are related to technology that will affect all of us. So they tend to also attract lots of he- heads of state and authorities, even though this year has been particularly complicated for Web Summit because the uh, Portuguese prime minister resigned over a corruption scandal. And uh, also the German uh, finance minister planned to attend and uh, cancelled his uh, participation over Cosgrove's remarks on Twitter. So a lot to deal with, Yeah, sure. But But there was time left over to talk about other stuff then. Yes. Importantly, I bet AI came up then. Yeah, as it does, as it does, to the the surprise of a total number of zero people. So, uh, (laughs) yes, uh, it was the main topic of conversation. And uh, comparing to Web Summit Rio, which I attended back in May, uh, the conversation seems to have moved on. Uh, In May, the uh, topic uh, was AI as well, but the mood was very much around um, experimentation, what can we do with chat GPT and uh, mid-journey and all that. And the conversations had the sort of alarmist tone. Uh, even Cassie Korsikov, uh, one of the chief scientists at Google, she came up with a panel that sort of, uh, uh, it was kind of like, uh, what, Come here to find out whether your job will get replaced by AI. <laughs> and uh, when it came to the, the presentation itself, she, she there was no such list. She was just telling people how she uh, enhanced her presentation with AI. So really, how can you use uh, AI as a co-pilot? Yeah, and- that, well, that, that was quite a clever 
strategy, yeah. wasn't it? Because yeah. the joke could have been that they just had an AI to run the whole panel. You know, they could have had a chat <laughs> chatbot do it. I'm sure it's happened in many other conferences. It's probably just becoming a bit of a cliche. But certainly this idea of like, no, okay, the AI is here, but as a co-pilot to get us through this panel. Exactly. That, which is kind of that nuance where the conversation should be. And she be. was saying like, I had to use my coding skills. So I use a little bit of Python and oh. a little bit of mid-journey, a little bit of chat GPT and voila. Here's my beautiful presentation. So this year, the conversation has been very much around how we might regulate AI, case studies and all that. Mm. So, okay, shock horror news then. They haven't replaced all the panel moderators with robots quite yet, which was no, good news for you. No, or podcasters for that matter. <laughs> well, <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> Discuss. Um, so, but it did mean they had you involved in, you did four panels, didn't you? Yes, I Whoa. did four panels. It was busy. So, <laughs> not simultaneously. <laughs> Are you a not, not, No, I don't have my own uh, avatar ro- uh, based on AI, whatever. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Pat, we don't have time to talk about all your panels, but is there one that you want to pick out and just tell us a bit about, maybe? Uh there were two that I, I quite enjoyed. So there was one on uh, innovation versus regulation. So how you might strike the balance. So we had the uh, vice prime minister of Georgia and the co-founder of Glovo, which is a food delivery app. So we were discussing that. How, and Georgia is very much deregulating everything. And Glovo is a company that operates in that space. Oh. So they were talking, they were, it was very much a conversation around the uh, upsides of deregulation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move, helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Yeah, sure. And one of the upsides being that neither of your star panellists had just resigned just before the meeting, so that luckily they turned up to actually take part. Um, yeah. Then you, you, also, you did another one on generative AI, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, generative AI. In, uh, guess in, uh, what? Uh, marketing and advertising. In marketing and advertising. And it was absolutely rammed. Uh, it was totally packed with people, Gareth. It was uh, only standing room in that panel, full of marketers, wondering how I might use ChatGPT to uh, stop uh, doing overtime at the office and ordering really bad pizzas. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what they care about. Yeah. But it's great to play to a full house, though. I mean, Yeah, you know, it was a full a, house. The kind of moderator and for the panellists as well. That yeah. Obviously, what you were discussing really landed. Yes. Uh, so I think the uh, the main highlights of that panel was that it's still a few case, uh, they're not case studies as such, So, but advanced experiments of generative AI, both on the efficiency side and the profit generation side. And there was al- also a bit of existential conversation, as it were, like, will chat GPT like steal our creativity or authenticity? And the answer was no. 
that there's still room for creativity and the human side will prevail. Right. So so those marketeers don't have to go back to their agencies and sack all the creatives quite yet. Was no, the not just heartwarming, yet. heartwarming um, resolution uh, from that panel. Um, okay. Well, that was very good. In fact, just before we do leave it on that, what about, was anything missing? And I, I wondered that about the uh, Wired event and you were kind of saying, no, it's pretty rounded, it was all there. But what about the, um, uh, the web summit then? Uh, um, I think what was missing, the big techs. <laughs> the big yeah. techs were missing because they all uh, withdrew uh, sponsorship. And I think that illustrates um, the, uh, the fact that they are very aware of their public image and uh, they're very quick to distance themselves from controversy, especially when it involves geopolitical tensions. So I'll put my media training hat on and also say that um, this shows how thoughtful and responsible communications has to be uh, when you are in a high-profile position. So the leaders that won't do it again, probably. But apart from that, in terms of content, um, I think there were some interesting uh, conversations around the future of tech in media. Uh, also longevity, uh, mobility, but I like to see more conversations around uh, climate change. Uh-huh. Um, like we were discussing about the uh, Wired Impact event earlier. Uh, I think we have a lot of very serious uh, issues to deal with. And sure, like the the Greenpeace CTO, uh, Priscilla um, Chomba said... Uh, it's all good to talk about AI, but we need to have a planet uh, saved first. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to see more conversations around that. Okay. Angelica, thank you. Fascinating to hear about your travels and your various conferences, and you still have energy to be here with us as well, which is great. And uh, and just to remind people that you're a tech journalist, you're based in Sao Paulo, just because I know people, we're still quite a new podcast, people still getting used to who we all are. So folks, that's who Angelica is, um, but everyone know who she knows, knows who she is anyway. All right, uh, subject change now. Let's talk about an app that's been trialled in Cameroon for helping women with contraception in regions where women are, in general, less aware of their options. It's a great example of bringing technology together with clinicians' experience and a bit of economics to improve people's lives. Um, We'll talk about the app itself in just a moment. But first, here is producer Anya, who's popped over to this side of the glass, to take us through this little bit. And, of course, Anya, you've worn many hats in your um, journalistic career, not least of all um, being a BBC World Service health reporter. You've travelled all around the world looking at issues like this. So what do we need to know then, just to kind of get a set up for this story and about contraception and, and options available to women? Well, I think, first of all, Gareth, I don't know if you know, but nearly half of all pregnancies are actually considered unwanted or mistimed. So they're just simply unplanned. You know, often these can occur soon after birth, uh, a time when 
parents least need another pregnancy uh, when they're exhausted with a very young baby. We also know that delaying or spacing children, as it's called, leads to much better outcomes. So for mothers and for children, so women can return to the workplace. So you've got economic growth there. That's really important. Healthier babies, because those born in quick succession often have lower birth rates uh, and they can be born prematurely. So then you've got added amounts of stress and anxiety to parents and children as well as impacting the children, ch- uh, children's health and also obviously governments then having to spend more money because the children can be sicker. So there is this huge push by governments and NGOs uh, to increase the use of contraception, but this isn't that simple. So here in the UK, Gareth, um, contraception is free. But in many low and middle income countries, women have to pay for it themselves. So when you're choosing a contraceptive method, you want to make sure that it's one that's going to work for you, that you're not likely to have side effects from, etc, etc. So according to surveys, about a quarter of women and teenage girls who don't want to fall pregnant don't use any method of contraception at all in low and middle income countries, which is, you know, I see your face. You're like, really? Wow, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One method that they do use, which is free, is called LAM, the lactational amenorrhea method, which is, I'm sure, something you haven't heard of. I completely don't have a scooby-doo about that. I'm I'm sorry for genuinely for my ignorance here, but you might have to um, take me through that. Well, the body is a wonderful thing. And so breastfeeding. When a woman is breastfeeding, then she doesn't tend to ovulate. Now, people think, oh, this is amazing. I'm breastfeeding. This is great. I'm not going to fall pregnant. Uh, Not that simple. You have to feed every four hours. During the night, it's a minimum of every six. Now, Every child is different. (laughs) Every child feeds differently. Some are much easier to breastfeed. Some are much harder to breastfeed. And this just isn't possible. And also, let's be honest, if you are absolutely exhausted with a new baby and you sleep for longer, well, you know, that's what you do. Your body is just not going to wake up. So the problem with, with this method is that it's not very reliable because you're not going to get your period until you ovulate. And therefore, you might already be pregnant. You don't even know if you started to ovulate. So that's why there is, again, this big push for contraception. Um, Many reasons for this lack of use of contraceptives amongst women. The cost that I've mentioned, supply issues, lack of trained staff to give advice or even fit some of these contraceptive uh, devices because you need qualified nurses and doctors to do that. And sorry to say, but opposition from male partners, that male partners don't want women using contraception. Uh, Now, increasing access to contraception by tackling some of these barriers can contribute to reductions in maternal mortality. Now, look at the numbers, just listen to this. Sub-Saharan Africa, one in 38 15-year-old girls will eventually die from a maternal cause, right? That the most dangerous time in a woman's life is pregnancy, is labour, and the first 24 hours after that. And that is pretty much anywhere in the world. I've reported on this so many times. And women need access to good healthcare throughout this, and then also the chance to space out these children. So this is where the technology comes in. Nurses in a family clinic in Yaoundé in Cameroon were given a tablet. They asked their clients uh, a set of questions. Then an algorithm was used to give the women the most appropriate choice of contraceptive. Right. So perhaps we could talk through some of the choices those women might have been offered then. So what kind of contraceptive options are there? Well, there's no one size fits all because that would obviously be too easy. Um, This study was looking specifically at something called LARCs. And these are long acting reversible contraceptives, things like the coil or the implant, as well as the pill. 
So a woman can be fitted with a coil that's inserted into the uterus and that can be in place for years. Some even can wear it for five, 10 years. So put it there, forget about it as long as you don't have side effects. Uh, Doesn't suit everybody. Implants work for months as do injections. Pill can be started and stopped quite easily. Now, women have to pick something that suits their lifestyle. So if you have a young baby, taking the pill at the same time every day is not really that that simple. Um, but it also needs to be tailored to their health needs. So you can't give certain contraceptives, some of these larks, to women who, for instance, have high blood pressure or are at risk of blood clots. And these are quite serious concerns, actually. Uh, they're only concerns for these people who have these issues. So everybody else is OK. But if they do, that's an issue. The algorithm takes all this into account and means the nurse does not have to remember and check each option, uh, therefore saving lots and lots of time. Which brings us nicely onto the app. Thanks for that, Anya. And uh, it's uh, been encouraging women, this app, to make uh, more informed choices about contraceptives after birth. And as we just heard, there are so many different options. Um, The app has recently been trialled in a women and children's hospital in Cameroon. And it's helped the health workers there nail down a key finding that a woman's choice of contraceptive depends on the information they receive and it depends on cost. And Anya, they were talking a bit about costs, certainly, as well. Um, now, there's nothing particularly high-tech about this app. It's basically a survey that runs on a tablet. And in a counselling session, then a health worker sits down with the woman to go through some questions and to outline the various contraception options. Researchers trialled the approach in a study involving nearly 800 women at that hospital that Anya mentioned in Yaoundé in Cameroon. And they found that the app improved the uptake of LARCs threefold. And quick reminder that LARC stands for longer-acting reversible contraceptives. Burke Osler from the World Bank in Washington is one of the study authors. And he says one of the app's main benefits is that it gives the women a ranked recommendation of birth control methods provision of this personalized ranked recommendations compared with the status quo world where everything is completely up to the client and the provider stays extremely agnostic about any methods, uh, pros or cons, it increases the take-up of LARCs a lot. Like a typical client that walks into our hospital in Yaoundé, Cameroon, at full prices, they'll take up, only one in 10 will adopt a method and walk out of the hospital with it, adopt a long-acting method. The approach we have with the rank recommendations almost triples that. Now, you could worry that, well, you're increasing take-up, but maybe women aren't so happy about it. We also have data about that. The quality of care seems to be very high, which is not surprising to us because we know all these nurses, they're extremely well-trained and experienced. But also the client satisfaction is very high in the order of 90-95%. They all say they would like to come back to this hospital again to get family planning services, etc. And in that sense, the take-up is higher, but there's no trade-offs with respect to client satisfaction. That's, that's a nice attribute. So that's findings on the client side. On the nurse's side, it's probably better to hear directly from the nurses themselves. But I'll say a couple of things. One is that these nurses were actually involved in the design phase of this app. 
initially they were a little bit even resistant. They were kind of rolling their eyes and saying, hey, you know, how can you have like our job now, like be done with this thing? But then soon enough, they started seeing the kind of like the huge benefits from it. And then they kept saying, okay, what about we insert this question here? And how about if it works a little bit differently there, etc." So they, as well as, you know, OBGYNs at the hospital and other experts were all involved in the design of this thing. And then second, our view from the, um, from the trial is that they got used to following the app's kind of structure with respect to a typical counseling session. So they're asking the clients a lot of questions in a particular wording, in a particular way, and in a particular order. And they've now gotten really used to listening to all of that and then digesting it and then kind of acting on it. And so now they're telling us that even when they're not using the tablet necessarily, they kind of do it the same way. So it's actually trained them in a very particular kind of way that was designed for them. So it's there's much more streamlining and much more consistency across counseling sessions that happen in this hospital now because they've all been using this app. Burke Osler of the World Bank. So the nurses seem to adapt well to the app, as we heard there, albeit after being a little bit sceptical at first. Well, let's now hear the voices of some of those health workers. The app and the use of the tablets didn't simplify my work. It rather perfected it because the survey was clearly mapped out and gave me a framework. This really helped me with planning the sessions and helping patients. I no longer use the tablet as the project is finished. Well, I really miss it because I really liked the project. I worked a lot with it. A resident came back, asked why we no longer use the tablet, and I had to tell them that it was for the project that only lasted two and a half years. So I really liked it. I liked it a lot. It was very good. The experience with tablets was very enriching for us. At the hospital, the family planning consultation was private. The patients would pull out the phone and ask me questions. Really, it's made family planning that much more important to women, and that made them open up even more, because with all the questions the tablet was asking and all that. So it really made them feel that something was being done and that they had to get involved. I even bragged a bit about having this kind of application in my department. I felt very comfortable with it, and I really liked talking about it to people around me. Since I've really started working with the family planning, it's become a passion for me, so I realise that I talk about it all the time. At the moment when we do counselling, it's not as fast as with the tablet. I really enjoyed the experience with the tablet. It was very good. Je suis Madame Hildegard Elombwe. I am Mrs. Hildegard Lombre, a family planning lead at the Gynecological, Obstetrical and Pediatric Hospital of Yaoundé. I was delighted to work with the World Bank team for this family planning project. It was truly a unique and enriching experience for me. I must say that I miss it a lot. Now, also working on that trial was Susan Athey of Stanford University. And she says the next stages might be to develop the app further and to bring in, guess what, AI to make it more like a digital assistant, possibly for women to use themselves at home. AI can be used to help other humans better. So one of the things is that, you know, in general, if you're giving advice to someone or you're counseling someone, whether it's or you're teaching them, it's 
important for the person doing the teaching or doing the counseling to have all of the relevant information. Because it's difficult for any human to have all of that information like perfectly memorized and, and at the tip of their fingers. But then in addition, what's extremely difficult for a human to do is to understand as a function of all of the individual characteristics, what is the, the best information and the most useful information for that person? Because there's lots of combinations of people. And so getting that match right between the person's circumstance and the information you have is super challenging. So if you have a, a, some sort of digital assistant that can help the human help the other human, you can not just get accurate information and comprehensive information, but you can narrow that down to get the right information to that human. And so the app can really help curate the information and get you just the information you need. And I think this is an example of of something that has much broader applicability. It may be one of the biggest surface areas for widespread applicability of of recently developed digital technologies. So this was just a great um, fit for our lab. How shareable is this tech you know once you because you know, this has been part of a study then that you've recently published in science advances but presumably other clinics other practitioners might want to get in on this is this a shareable thing absolutely and i think this is again one of the reasons that this is so exciting as a case study or a demonstration project because we were able to design this app ourselves, like on a shoestring budget. This is something that pretty much anybody could design with minimal technical expertise. We used a survey software on a standard tablet. So this, in principle, you know, we can share the content of, of this and anybody could use it and set up their own app. There are lots of low-code, no-code software platforms that this could be implemented on. So essentially, this is almost zero fixed cost and almost zero marginal cost in terms of the development. Of course, the, the, so the real cost of implementing something like this would be just getting the physical hardware to run it on and also the training and kind of getting it integrated with a hospital system. But the, the marginal cost of the intervention itself is, is, is just minimal. And in addition to the way that we've designed it to be implemented as a as a nurse assistant tool if that say that training budget or just the the change in the workflow was for some reason too difficult for a hospital or even an outpatient clinic to kind of implement you could use this in other ways so it could be a waiting room app it could be on a website and and you know women could do it for themselves and just look at the results before they came in or even in order to decide whether to come in so this is extremely easy tech to use in and especially given the privacy considerations around contraception there could be a, a very big good use case for for just letting people do this in the privacy of their own homes and if they're nervous about coming in or if they if it's if it's difficult for them to come in so I think we've generally been thinking that you know once we've established the effectiveness of this, um, it would be really nice to see this developed into uh, an app that, that people could download from the app store, and then you could have more features, you could embed videos or photo, 
um, in some future world, you could add in some, you know, ChatGPT queries into a curated database, although that, that piece would require more testing. So that, that is not zero cost. But the rest of it could be very easy. And so, you know, it'd be really exciting if someone who was in t- interested in user interface design and was interested in, in making this, in distributing this, wanted to pick it up. And that's something that, you know, we're, we're very curious about, but we haven't started that process ourselves. So that's Susan Athey there of Stanford. So uh, Angelica Mowry, listening to both of those clips, and of course the uh, clip of the nurses themselves, what do you make of, of what you've heard there? Because it seems to me quite a, kind of delightfully low-tech for me in a way, a survey on a tablet. I know, but what might seem like low-tech solutions for some of us will be uh, totally groundbreaking and really um, important for some some other other people, like we see in the in this family planning app. And what really matters here is how it delivers information to people. And uh, what we see in, uh, in issues that society is up against, like the rise in teenage pregnancies, uh, what we find is that it happens because of lack of information. Yeah, sure. Now, what about the situation in Brazil, because quite a high teenage pregnancy rate, isn't there, in Brazil? Yes. Uh, One in seven babies in Brazil is the child of a teenage mother, and that number is rising. So uh, there's information about sexuality and reproductive rights, uh, the main reasons uh, for that rise in in teenage pregnancies. And these apps um, can really be useful for that, for delivering information. And not only that, they can serve as tools for gathering data on family planning needs and trends in different regions. That's particularly uh, helpful in uh, countries that have a continental size like Brazil and very different realities depending on where you go. So that data can be very important also for uh, government and non-governmental organizations to tailor their health uh, programs and policies as well. All right. Um, Well, there we will leave it. Angelica Murray, thank you very much. So very pleasure. flattered that you fitted us in, in on your whirlwind tour of everywhere. <laughs> um, so that was Angelica Murray you just heard there. Uh, just before we go, uh, the usual reminders that uh, we love hearing from you. So do stay in touch, won't you? Our email is hello at somewhereonearth.co. On WhatsApp, we are code 44-7486-329-484. And then on Twitter and Facebook, just search for soap tech but don't spell it like soap with an a otherwise you'll just find out a lot about tech related to how to keep yourself clean so it's s-o-e-p of course it stands for the somewhere on earth podcast so that's soap tech that will take you to where we are on social media and including linkedin we're over there now as well and we do really want to hear from you so you're bound to have things to say about what you just heard there about um, pregnancies and uh, contraceptives what you make of this idea of just bringing more information and ranking information to women who've already had a baby and now want to employ some kind of birth control what do you make of that and of course that long chit chat we had about the web summit so when do you think it will be that an ai is going to just get rid of all the um 
hosts and moderators at the <laughs> at somewhere like the Web Summit. Not too soon, we hope, but if you want to provoke us or upset us by saying the sooner the better, then feel free to be a bit controversial and uh, it'll get read out. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, that is it. Other than to thank our lovely team here the with audio production from Keziah Wenham Kenyon and John Cronin at Lanson's Team Farna. Our production manager is Liz Tui. The editor is Anya Litorovic and I'm some bloke called Gareth. See you next time, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.